0: Let's pray as we open the word together. Father, thank you for this time we're able to set aside to invest ourselves in the study of the word of God. We ask that your holy spirit to authored this this bible uh, through the inspiration of the men who penned it over the many many centuries. Father, that your spirit would now Apply it directly to our hearts in the place where it is most needed. Father, fill us with faith that we might hear and believe. And that we might flee to the great message of the gospel of Jesus Christ contained herein. And we ask for his namesake. Amen. Well, beloved, it is uh, soon going to be vacation season. We're coming up on that time of the year when uh, many of you will be able to have some time off from work. And you'll go here, there, and everywhere to celebrate various vacations. And so, uh, as a uh, tour guide, let me say this to you. If you have opportunity to go to the East Coast of this great nation uh, this summer. Let me recommend to you that you travel to the city of Boston. For if you go to the city of Boston, Massachusetts, you will be utterly amazed. For there is a two and a half mile long uh, ribbon of red brick that winds its way through the downtown Boston area and then out over into neighboring Charlestown. And this ribbon of red brick that crosses streets and comes along sidewalks and, and uh, you know, bypasses these modern skyscrapers and so forth marks 16 sites of great historical significance for the origin of this country. That 2 and a half mile brick ribbon is called the Freedom Trail the Freedom Trail, and as you progress along the Freedom Trail and you can pay for a guide or either you can do a self-guided tour, as I say, there are 16 historical sites that you might visit. The 16th and final site is a 221-foot tall uh, granite obelisk that uh, sits on what is known as Breed's Hill in Charlestown. And this obelisk, which was uh, completed in 1843, commemorates what is popularly known as the Battle of Bunker Hill, the Battle of Bunker Hill. Bunker Hill actually uh, is next to Breed's Hill. And what makes this site so significant is for a period of a couple of hours, on the 17th of June in the year 17. 75 Breed's Hill was the scene of some of the bloodiest fighting in the American Revolutionary War. On that particular day, 1,000 colonial militiamen, and so what I mean by that is shopkeepers and farmers, um, under the command of Colonel William Prescott, repulsed two frontal assaults By 2,200 of the finest fighting men in the world of that day, the British Army. Because these militiamen had only limited ammo supplies, their leader Colonel Prescott gave them the most famous command: "Do not shoot until you see the whites of their eyes." You probably heard that. Don't shoot until you see the whites of their eyes. So just imagine this scene with me there are these farmers and shopkeepers they are dug in on the top of of Breed's Hill and it's not very tall and down below they see coming over from Boston the ships delivering the British regulars 2,200 British troops form at the base of Breed's Hill the drums sound The fifes are blown, the Union Jack is waving in the breeze, and these troops begin the slow, steady assault up the side of the hill. You can only imagine the scene. I imagine Colonel Prescott saying, steady, boys, steady yourself. Hold your fire. Hold your fire. Till you see the whites of their eyes. Hold your fire. The Redcoats came within 100 feet of these American militiamen before a, a volley of musket fire was let loose. It broke the British advance and sent them into full retreat back down the hill. At the base of the hill, the British regrouped and attacked again. To the same result, the assault was repulsed. Reforming for a third time at the base of that hill, they again began their slow and steady assault on the American redoubt. And by this time, the Americans were out of ammunition. Fierce hand-to-hand conflict ensued until the Americans were pushed off of the hill. And the British succeeded in taking that high ground and with it, the city of Charlestown. When the smoke cleared from that battle, 286 British soldiers lay dead or dying, with another 828 wounded, 50% casualties. On the American side, 115 Americans lay dead, with another 305 wounded. The British won the Battle of Bunker Hill, or Breed's Hill, as it was known. But they won it at astronomical costs, and in doing so, they they provided an immense psychological lift to this fledgling American Revolution and an army that would soon be formed, known as the American Continental Army. They understood that, that we can stand against the most powerful fighting force in the world. The British also learned a lesson that morning, for they realized that this would be a long and costly war. And indeed it was, for it did not come to an end until October of 1781 at the Battle of Yorktown in Virginia. And thus, the American Revolutionary War came to an effective end. Open your Bibles, if you're not there already, to the sixth chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. We are returning again to this same text, verses 10 through 20, and Paul's final instructions for the believers to stand firm in the face of the fearsome onslaught of our spiritual enemy, the devil. Hear the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. "...against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace." that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. When we began looking at this text a few weeks ago, we noted that Paul provides for us here a three-part strategy for standing firm in the Christian faith. A three-part strategy for standing firm in the Christian faith. The first part of that strategy in verses 10 through 13 is that we are to stand firm by perceiving your enemy, by perceiving who our enemy is. Who exactly is it that has been arrayed against us? And Paul tells us there that we need, in verse 10, to lay hold of the mighty strength of Christ because there is a very cunning and deadly spiritual enemy who has been set against us. And he and his minions are actively engaged in seeking to destroy us, verses 11 and 12. We could boil those first few verses down, verses 10 through 13, Christians, as simply this. The devil and his demons are out to get you. They are out to get you. And they have many ways to go about it. Many ways to go about it. We face a very fearsome enemy, and we need to perceive who that enemy is and how they operate. Secondly, and we began this last week, the second strategy is that we must stand firm by putting on our armor. We stand firm by putting on your armor, verses 14 through 17. And as we began this last week, we noted that grammatically here, the first four items of the armor are the means by which we fulfill the command to, stay, to stand firm. In other words, we stand firm by putting on our armor. They are not separate from one another. If we do not put on our armor, we will not stand firm. We will not stand firm. And we stand firm by putting it on. And it is God's armor, right? It is is called the armor of God. It is God's armor, that which characterizes God. Now, last week, we, as I say, began to look at this, and we we looked at the first two items of armor, and so let me just quickly review that for you, and then we will dive in more deeply here. But here in verse 14, we looked first at that first piece of armor, truth, right? Stand firm, therefore, Paul says, having girded your loins with truth, or as the ESV translates it, having fastened on the belt of truth, having fastened on the belt of truth. The first item that a believer must strap on in order to stand firm against the devil is truth. We must strap on truth. Truth is that which is reliable, that which is trustworthy. We noted last time, truth lies at the heart of the gospel because Jesus is truth. He says it himself in John fourteen six. I am the truth. I am the truth. And so, it's not surprising for us that Paul begins with the armor here by looking at truth because truth is foundational to the Christian life. We are truth speakers. Our faith is built upon a historical reality of what actually happened, what really in space and time happened. Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again on the third day. This is truth. Next, Paul says, put on the breast." plate of righteousness. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Again, down in verse 14. We noted that breastplates, the purpose of them is to protect the vital organs here. And so Paul is saying, put on the breastplate, which is righteousness. Okay, grammatically, that's what that means. Put on the breastplate of righteousness means put on the breastplate, which is righteousness. And we spent some time last time, we looked at this Just summarizing in here, the righteousness Paul's speaking about is an ethical quality, an ethical quality. In other words, it is the actions of the new person in Christ. We we looked over in chapter 4, verse 24, where we see there the likeness of God is righteousness and holiness of the truth. So we are putting on the, the character of God. In other words, we are to put on moral integrity, That's basically what Paul's saying here. Having put on the breastplate, which is righteousness. In other words, having put on moral integrity. Moral integrity. We battle the the devil and his minions by living a life of moral integrity. That's how we stand firm. We resist the devil's schemes by living with moral integrity. We expose ourselves to devastating wounds when we do not when we do not. Next, verse 15, he continues, the third item. He says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now again, a Roman soldier had some very important footwear. They wore a very uh, thick leather sandal that was studded with, with hollow uh, headed nails, hobnails, as it were. You could, you could almost get the idea of cleats. The idea of cleats. This sandal was tied halfway up the, the shin of a, of a Roman legionnaire, and it provided excellent traction for him in the intense pushing and shoving that would characterize first century warfare. As the two armies would come together to clash, There would be a a lot of shoving and pushing in the front line. And if you were to lose your footing and to fall down, you would die. You would die. The only hope you had to survive this kind of combat was to retain your footing. And so the Romans, knowing that, uh, focused on providing good shoes, as it were, to their soldiers. And so that was widely known. It was widely understood in the culture of Paul's day. And so so Paul uses this as a metaphor. He uses this as a metaphor to speak about the Christian. The Christian is able to stand by strapping on to our feet, as it were, a readiness or a preparation which has its source in the gospel. It has its source there in the gospel, and the content of the gospel is peace. If I were to say it to you another way, it would be this. The gospel is the shoe that enables you to stand. As a believer, as as a follower of Christ, the gospel is the shoe that enables you to stand. And the content of that gospel is peace. The content of that gospel is peace. Now turn with me back to chapter 2, and let me show you how Paul speaks about this. This is peace both vertically with God and horizontally with one another. This is the content of the Pauline gospel that provides the ability to stand firm. Over in chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, Paul writes, For he himself, that is Christ, For verse 13, he himself is our peace. Christ is our peace. Who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. There's your horizontal peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. In other words, in Christ, and in the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf, He has overcome that which separates us from God vertically, and we are now at peace with God, right? Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The first fruit of redemption is peace with God. Beyond that, we are at peace with one another through the gospel Christ has overcome all of the ancient hostilities that have separated mankind from the beginning. And it is this gospel of peace that defeats the devil's schemes for us. Schemes like this. Schemes when someone either truly or it's in your perception has offended you. They have snubbed you perhaps or, or spoken unkindly to you here in the body or, or overlooked your need uh, which is great in favor of someone else's who is less. And there, and there, is, this, there is this wanting to pull away and to separate and to, and to lie to yourself and tell yourself how nobody cares about me and you know, I might as well just go somewhere else and I tell you what I'll do. I'll just stay home and see if anybody notices or not. And see, nobody called me, and that's because nobody cares about me. So I'll just stay home the next week, too, and that'll just reconfirm it for me. And so the, the devil is, is inciting in your mind this idea that it's all about you. And in the process, right, you are losing track of the reality of the gospel of peace. And so it is the, the truth of verse 22 of chapter 2, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. This, this idea that the, that the local body of Christ, indwelled by the Spirit of Christ, we are brothers and sisters together. We're one family. We're one family. And you know what? Just because mom burns the biscuits, you don't walk away from the family. And, and, and because... You've been offended or slighted, real or perceived. You don't walk away from the family. And it is the gospel that will allow you, the gospel of peace that will allow you to hang in there, to stand firm, to not get pushed over in that kind of situation. Or maybe this, as the song says that we sang this morning, right? When Satan tempts me to despair. And tells me of the guilt within, right? What kind of Christian are you? If you were really a child of God, if you really loved Christ, you would have never thought that thought or done that thing or or whatever it is. And so you begin this down cycle into despair, right? That is is the scheme of the devil. That is the scheme of the devil. So, So where does the gospel of peace come in? Upward I look and I see him there who made an end of all my sin. You are a wretched sinner, Satan says, and and you say, yes, I am. But praise God, my sin has been forgiven in Christ, right? He made an end of all my sin because the sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. To look on him and pardon me. This is the gospel of peace that, uh, that we need to shoe ourselves with so we stand firm and we're not pushed over. Beloved, it is, it is this gospel of peace that, that gives us traction and allows us to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Verse 16. Verse 16, in addition, in addition, in addition to all, Paul says, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Again, I, I think Paul is influenced here by the, by the common sight of, of Roman legionnaires. And a, and a Roman legionnaire going into combat would carry with him the, the Roman shield. And the Roman shield was, was, a, was a, an invention, as you were, as it were, that, that, that made the Roman legionary a very formidable fighting force. For it was this shield that was two and a half feet wide and four feet tall, that he would take into battle. It was, it was large enough to conceal his body. And it was made of wood, and then it was covered in leather, covered in leather. And just prior to entering combat, they would drench the leather with water. And so you would have this shield that was wrapped in this heavy, wet leather. And the, and the purpose of doing that was that when the enemies would put pitch on their arrows, and it was a common technique of warfare, and they would shoot those arrows and they would stick in the Roman shield, that, that sopping wet leather would just extinguish the fire. It would put out the fire and would, and would protect the, the soldier behind. And so just as that shield protects the soldier from the, the enemy's arrows, right, so the shield of faith, Paul says, protects the believer from the devil's schemes. Faith—it's an important concept in this epistle. All right back in chapter two again, in verse eight, it is faith in the gospel's witness to Jesus Christ that is the means by which we are saved. Right, for by grace you have been saved through faith it is faith is the means and that not of yourselves it is the gift of god so it is the it is the gospel's witness to jesus christ faith in that gospel witness that is the means by which we are saved chapter 3 verse 12 faith is the means by which we have access to god in whom we have boldness right in in christ verse 11 in in christ we have boldness and confident access Through faith in him. So we have our bold and confident access into the presence of God the Father. right? Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Down to verse 17, same chapter. Faith is the means by which we have Christ dwelling within our hearts. Paul says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. It is by faith that Christ dwells within our hearts. And finally, uh, faith is brought about or sustained by the Spirit through the preaching of the gospel, right? By um, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17, Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, right? The gift of God, the gift of God. So faith is very, very important. It is is the shield, it is the shield that that protects us against the the onslaught of the evil one. Verse 17 now, back in chapter 6. last two items here. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, these last two items here, it it breaks the grammatical structure that that Paul had set in place with the first four items back in verses 14 to 16. And so these last two are are introduced by another imperative. Here we're, we're told to take, okay? So to Kind of to pick up or, or you know take to ourselves and, and that parallels the earlier command to stand firm. Now these last two items are are set apart in that way and I and I think because uh, Paul is transitioning here to the to the next aspect of uh, of the armor and and these last two items the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit uh, are essential to standing firm they are essential. But I believe they give us that transition to verses 18 through 20. A final strategy, you know, which is prayer for boldness, okay? i just give that to you ahead of time. You write it down. We'll get back there. All right, the final strategy to stand firm is to pray for boldness, verses 18 through 20. But what Paul's doing here, I think, is he's, is he's now transitioning from a defensive to an offensive kind of standing firm, In other words, he's he's trying to prepare us for the counterattack, the counterattack that we must mount in order to set the devil's captives free. We fight not just a defensive battle, but we fight a defensive and offensive battle. We are to stand firm and hold our ground, and we are at times to advance and to seize ground from the evil one. So let me show you what I mean by all of this. So let's look at first the helmet. Okay, let's look at the helmet. What does a helmet do? A helmet protects the head right, against injury and death. That's the role of the helmet. Salvation, Paul talks about here, is the helmet. The helmet which is salvation. Okay? But think with me about this. As a, as a Christian, and he's writing to Christians here, uh, we already possess salvation. Right? Through faith in Christ, our sin has been forgiven. The righteousness of Christ has been credited to our account. We are children of the living God. We will not face the consequence of our sin at the judgment seat of Christ because Christ himself has taken it for us. So Paul can't be speaking about salvation in that sense when he says, take the helmet of salvation. He's not saying, get saved. You're already saved. So he's talking about something else here. And I think what he is talking about here is, is that we need to take up salvation uh, in a sense on a daily basis by remembering and appropriating what has historically happened for us and, and, and day by day flood our minds with that reality. We're not to lose sight of the reality of what has happened. We are saved people, okay? We are saved people. So we're to appropriate that by faith. Well, so how do I do that? How do I appropriate salvation by faith, you know, day by day? How do I remind myself of the reality that I'm saved? Well, I think a good way to do that is to go back to the beginning part of this letter. The chapters one and two and to to read it with some measure of regularity, to to meditate upon the great truths there, right? That it is in love that you have been predestined to adoption as sons of the living God in union with Jesus Christ, right? These are the the great truths of our redemption, that, that we are at peace with God vertically, and we are at peace with our brothers and sisters horizontally. So as we As we think on these things, and and some call it preach the gospel to yourself, and that's fine. That's a good way to say it as any other. As we remind ourselves of this truth, then our our head is secure. It is protected. Our our helmet is in place. And and a mortal wound cannot be inflicted. Because think about this with me, brothers and sisters. There There is a great risk of leaving the defensive stronghold and beginning a counterattack, isn't there? I mean, as long as you are dug in behind the lines, you are somewhat protected. But when we begin a counter-attack, when we leave the trench line, and we, and we enter into the enemy's territory through gospel preaching, and we, and we seek to rescue those who are lost and enslaved, we put a target on ourselves. We put a target on ourselves. Uh, the devil and his minions, right, now they have someone to concentrate on, someone to, to direct their fire at. If they, if they want to retain their captives, then, then the best thing to do is to defeat the, the warrior who's coming after them to try to rescue them. And so when we proceed in faith out into the world to preach the gospel... We become vulnerable, and and the the helmet of salvation becomes all that much more important. Think of it this way with me. In Matthew chapter 10, in verse 28, Jesus instructed his disciples not to fear those whose reach does not extend beyond the grave, right? But he says, this is the one whom I will tell you to fear, right? He whose, whose reach does extend beyond the grave. And that is God himself. So Jesus' words to his disciples in Matthew 10 is there to go out, preach the gospel. He says, don't worry about what anybody can do to you. The worst they can do to you is kill you. What you need to worry about is him who controls life on the other side of the grave. That is God himself. And so I think that's what Paul is kind of getting at here. And he's saying is, that we don't need to fear. We do not need to fear man or Satan because they cannot ultimately dislodge us from our salvation. All right, how do you steady your heart in the face of, of persecution? Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about one of the schemes of the devil is persecution. He incites those against the church to, to ravage the church. How do you steady your mind against all of that? How do you steady your heart against that? How do you continue to preach the gospel when you know that it may well cost you your life? And the answer is by taking on the, putting on that helmet of salvation, taking that helmet which is salvation and being reminded that martyrdom, martyrdom opens the door into the presence of God. It opens the door into the presence of God. When we come back to this text, looking at verses 18 to 20, I'm going to tell you a story of a a young woman by the name of Perpetua. You may know that story, you may not. But I will tell you that story about a young woman who put on the helmet of salvation and steadied her heart and mind in the face of the most awful, satanically inspired persecution. So Paul says, put on that helmet of salvation, and finally, he says, and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, right? The final item is the sword given by the Spirit, which is the Scriptures. Now the sword in Paul's day would have been the Roman Roman Gladius, right? It was about a about a two-foot long, two and a half inch wide, sharpened on both sides, a weapon. It was designed for, for close quarters combat. It was both an offensive and a defensive weapon. And Paul says, finally, take up this sword given by the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is the Scriptures, and it is by this that you will rescue. Right? 2 Corinthians, just go back to 2 Corinthians for a moment in chapter 10. Be reminded there, as Paul talks about our warfare, Right, verses 3 and following, We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against a spiritual enemy, and we need spiritual weapons. So we take up a sword, not a gladius, but we take up the word of God. And Paul says in verse 3, chapter 10, But though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Paul says that we are, we are warring against, he calls it fortresses here. I, I think you could easily understand it as prisons. We, we are warring against Satanly M- uh, designed or, or, or implemented prisons where people are held captive. Over in chapter 4 of this same book, he talks about the, the devil blinds the mind, 4-4, of the unbelieving, right? So they will not see the light of the glory of Christ, uh, who is the image of God. So we are, we are fighting against this invisible enemy, and we are using not worldly weapons... Not Roman gladiuses, but we are using the scriptures, right? As we wield the word of God, it enables us to free captives that have been bound by the devil in his evil grip. It is the power of the Spirit of God operating through the scriptures that saves people, that sanctifies people, that draws them to Christ. You remember the writer of the Hebrews, right? In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Beloved, if you've got friends or family members or, or work acquaintances and so forth that are, that are under the, the captivity of, of the evil one, they are they're blind. The weapon to, to attack that blindness is the word of God. It is to come with the word of God because the, the, the spirit works through his word. He, he regenerates dead hearts, opens blind eyes, unstops deaf ears. And people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and they are saved. Okay? As we will get to here in two weeks... Verses 18 through 20, notice what Paul is about here in this final aspect of the standing firm. He's praying for boldness so that he can do what? So he can preach the gospel. So he can wield the sword of the Spirit. Okay? As we uh, close here, in this uh, this section this morning, uh, I think it's a good time to just think about it this way. The armor of a Roman legionnaire was a was a what would, would the Brits would call a kit. It was a it was a complete package. You wouldn't go into warfare. You wouldn't say you know. I don't really want to wear these uh, these sandals. You know they're hot, and they're kind of inflexible and so forth. I, you know what I I think I'll just go with bare feet. You know I'm a lot faster in my bare feet. Or, or someone else wouldn't say, you know, this breast, you know, what do I want to wear body armor? Like this breast piece, this is just too heavy. It slows me down. So we're going to discard it. Or someone else says, I don't need a shield. You know, I'm pretty agile. I see those arrows coming and I just kind of, you know, a little ninja move and they go right by me. I don't need this big old shield. Right? Or a sword. I don't need a sword. I'm way behind the lines. <laughs> you know? But it wasn't designed like that. It was a package. It's a package. If you were gonna survive, if you were gonna prevail, you put it all on, every bit of it, and you proceed into battle. Okay? I, th- I think that's basically what Paul's saying to you and I here in, in Ephesians 6 is here is this armor. You gotta put it all on. You, can, you can't pick and choose. You can't say, yeah, I'm all about truth, but, you know, I'm going to live a kind of a double life on the side. Right? Or, or I, don't, I don't need to reflect on the gospel. You know, I, I remember it. I believed all that when I got saved. That was like 40 years ago. What do I need that now for? Or the, the sword? I, I'm, I don't need to, to know my Bible. I don't need to be proficient with the sword of the Spirit here. Because I never talk to anybody, let alone an unbeliever. Right. I mean, it's just ludicrous. It's, it's ridiculous. So Paul would have you and I put it all on. Put it all on. Because that's the only way we're going to stand firm. And it's the only way that we're going to rescue captives who desperately need to be rescued, just like you and I did, just like you and I did. Let's pray. Our Father, as we just think about what's being said here and the command to, to put on the full armor of God, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts the, those areas where perhaps we've been a little ne- neglectful, a little shoddy, a little, little slipshod, a little cavalier in, in approaching this matter. That your spirit would apply the truth here individually for us. And that by his grace that we would be strengthened in the inner man to do what we need to do. To make the changes that we need to make. For Father we must stand firm. There, there, there's no alternative for us here. As children of the living God, we, we must stand firm. How I thank you that we don't stand alone against a powerful enemy, one who is far more powerful than, than us. But we stand in the, in the full armor that is God's. We stand in the mighty power of Christ, the one who has conquered sin and death and, and has been raised from the dead and has ascended to the right hand who sits at your right hand, Father, and that you have placed him far above all rule and dominion, that he is the ascended Christ and and all bow before him. He is the ultimate victor. And we share that victory through union with him. Lord, may that that encouragement Enable us this week as we go forth into the fight to stand firm ourselves. And when opportunity for, for a counterattack presents itself, when, when the conversation moves in such a direction that we, that we can step right in and speak out for Christ, Father, may you strengthen and embolden us to do so. May our hearts and heads be filled with the gospel and may it roll off our tongue. And Father, may your spirit make it effectual Even now, in the hearts and minds of those here, some who need Christ for the very first time, Father, may you open their eyes to the reality of it. I pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. If you are here with us this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, then then, um, I want nothing more than for you to know the reality of life in the Savior. So if you would, if you would be so um, so moved to come and to, and to meet me, to talk to me, I would love to open the Word of God with you and to show you how you can know Christ. And knowing Him, you too can experience His everlasting resurrection life. Okay? Brothers and sisters... Go in faith today into the world, putting on the full armor of God that you might stand firm against the schemes of the evil one. Go in peace.